on August the 12th of last year, the Lord just spoke to me this simple word, and it was just that we, meaning I felt like he meant the body of Christ, are in a defining moment. And I'm always very, excuse me, I'm always very uh, curious when the Lord speaks something uh, as to defining words and things like that. I don't know if you realize this, but when God says something to you, or often when he will speak something to you, he'll just kind of throw it out there and he will hold you responsible for inquiring of him and looking for a greater understanding of what he just said. It's, it's almost like he, is, he's, he will throw something out to you to see if you're hungry enough to inquire of him. Years ago, when I was asking the Lord, how, how do you consistently live under an open heaven and move consistently from glory to glory? Because my experience as a child, and I, and I just knew that couldn't be true, is that I would see people, I, I grew up Pentecostal. That means we shouted at everything. And we wanted Jesus to come back tomorrow. It's a great way to grow up. It really is. A lot, of, a lot of positive things about it. There's some negative things about it that deliverance helps you with, but uh, there, there is. But, you know, do, do you know it's really important too when you grow up around things like that to be really careful that you don't have judgments? People were doing the best they knew in that time. They just were doing the best, you know? But, uh, when God speaks something to us, he releases often something to us and he holds us responsible for inquiring. So I was asking the Lord. I said, Lord, I, as, as a young man, I think it was 19, 20 years old. No, maybe a little older than that. And he just put one phrase to me. He just wanted to, he just gave me one phrase, kingdom of God, that I'm still trying to understand today. And so God will often release things to you and holds you responsible for inquiry. And often it will, your hunger in that moment to fully understand what he just said will define what you receive from that word. Words I've learned are multidimensional. And it's not like, because revelation is not an intellectual pursuit, there's layers to it that you're constantly unveiling. Like I know that the Lord called me at 18 years old. How do, how do I have, who gives me the authority? Yes, it's people who are in positions of authority, but what qualifies to, for me to be a minister of the gospel is that God has called me. But even 26 years later, I am still understanding what that call means. That, that'll, that'll help some of you because some people, anyway, some people never grow in truth is the point of that. But I didn't know that, I didn't know that there was a dictionary definition for dis, defining moment. That was my introduction that I didn't mean. Defining moment is the point at which an essential nature of a character of a person or a group of people is revealed. Defining moment, the point at which the essential nature of a character of a person or group of people is revealed. We're in a defining moment in the body of Christ. It also brings me back to, uh, I was also reminded when the Lord spoke that to me of spring of 2020, when uh, we were actually on one of these prayer calls that I described a little bit ago, and we're praying, God's moving powerfully. I actually asked the Lord, because I was really astounded of how powerful God could move through a phone line, and he gave me a line that that I learned from uh, Oral Roberts' ministry, and he said, there is no distance in the spirit. And years ago, Brother Roberts obviously was having his large tent crusades and a lady wrote him a letter and she said, Brother Roberts, I can't make your meeting, but I believe there is no distance in prayer. So I believe when you read that letter and pray for me, I will be healed instantly. And she was. Because there is no distance in prayer. So God was moving powerfully. And I'm on this call this particular day and I discern in between the desk of my home office, between my desk and the wall, there's this angel. And it's not an angel that I have ever discerned before. And he was not like a funny angel. He was very serious. And he's looking, I wouldn't say not at me, but through me. And the fear of the Lord comes into my office. And, you know, you're, you're facilitating a call, but you're more like, Lord Jesus. 
God draws us with his kindness, but it's the fear of the Lord that keeps us. What is the fear of the Lord? Do you take God seriously in every area of your life? And he's looking through me and how it often happens in these encounters, experiences. It's not like you actually say, you're just thinking in your mind. I'm thinking, what is he looking at? And the Lord speaks to me. He said, he's looking to see if you and the body of Christ will react properly in the moment that they're in. And then I saw him leave and I saw him go through all the United States in fire. So we're in this defining moment. And one of the things that I have learned is that God will define his people by that which he's made available to that generation. Meaning this, God does not judge you when you finish the shortest part of your existence. By the way, how many know that? This is the shortest part of your existence. Like that. I get younger and younger. That's what I say. Time doesn't stop for anyone. I remember many years ago, the Lord said to me, he said, I never waste anyone's time. People waste my time. You know when he told me that? When I was, uh, you, you know, when you think you're mature, but you got your diapers on and you're pooping everywhere spiritually. Just one of the things you need to know is just because you hear the voice of God, that does, it's not a mark of maturity. And I was telling him, God, you said this, and you said this, and you said this, and, you, and I don't see any of it. And he said, Abner, I do not waste anyone's time. People waste my time. If you will take care of what I've put in your hand, I will do everything I've ever told you I would do. And he has. But God will not judge you for what you're doing, but for what he gave you the potential to do and the thing that he called you to do. Say that again. God will not judge you for what you're doing. He does not judge you for, for say, going to church or giving to an offering. All, all that stuff is good. But, and this is the other part of this as well. I remember many years ago, the Lord said to me, I'm going to do certain things for you. I'm going to do this for you in ministry. You're going to be known like this. I'm going to do some things outwardly for you. But only you and I will ever know if you're actually doing what I've asked you to do. And so he doesn't judge you for the things that you do. He judged you for the things that he called you to do and gave you the potential to do. That's why even for a believer, I believe there, there, there is a part of when you stand before God and get judged. And here's the other really deep part about God. He doesn't judge an outcome. He judges the motive by which you did something. I constantly ask myself that. Am I promoting this because God called me to do it? How are we doing? Am I doing it with the proper heart? Because I've had, I've had the Lord tell me, he goes, you're not going to get credit for that one because you did it with the wrong intention. There's a good thing called repentance, though. It helps you. <laughs> And this is not to put shame. We, we've all missed turns, but it is to evaluate the reason for which we do things and realize just because maybe on the outward there was some fruit to it, we have to really analyze from heaven's perspective, did God call us to do this? Because we will be judged again, not for the things we did, but for the things he called us to do. That's why you want to learn how to think biblically and from a biblical lens and a biblical worldview, not like an American. And one of the things that I've learned is God allows us to be positioned correctly in defining moments when we are building the foundation of our lives correctly. You will never grow beyond the foundation that you've currently built in your life. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. I'll read out of the Passion today. God has given me many unique gifts as a skilled master builder who lays a good foundation. Obviously, the Apostle Paul writing. 
Afterward, another craftsman comes and builds on it. So builders, beware. Everyone in here, you are building your life in a certain way. You are crafting your life in a certain way. God, you are a, and this, this is really contrary, especially in the culture that we live in, this is really contrary to this. There are two very interesting tensions in how God created humanity, and it's this. God gave you something more powerful than the Holy Spirit's operation in your life, and it's called your power of choice. I'll try over here. <laughs> See, the reason sometimes that, that you kind of like, oh, I'm not quite sure that exists, is because there are, there's, there's, there's very intentional, but there's also very subtle messages to, to keep people victims of the world that they're living in. I've heard people, by the way, this is my, I'm, I'm in now my 20th year of ministry. So you learn some things about people. And sometimes what they're saying is not necessarily incorrect, but is actually from the lens of a victim. If they're having, let's say, not you, not anyone in this room, marital problems, sometimes they'll say, well, God chose my husband, and I married him because God told me to. What are they doing? They're blaming God for the issues in their marriage. It's a subtle, sometimes very subtle. But what they're saying is, I did the will of God. Now God's, you know, God's not doing his end. When God doesn't have anything to do with it, you got two different people who have to make godly choices, even if God brought them together. So what, on the outside, what they're saying is true, but inside, sometimes there's this little, this is your fault, God. Even I, I, I'm a big believer, please. It's one of the fundamentals of, of discipleship. I'm a big believer is get delivered of your creepy crawlers, you know, get all that. God, you know, God wants to inhabit people, but so do demons. But sometimes in the process of getting people free, people go, well, the reason I remember one, one associate pastor, he was committing an affair. He goes, well, the reason I did this is because, I, you know, this happened to me as a kid. I said, no, the reason you did this, you made a choice to violate a covenant and do this with your, now that may be a root by it, but you made that choice. And so God has given you something more powerful than actually the work of God in your life. And that's the power of choice. Remember many years ago, first time I was in the Philippines, I was, um, we, it was just extraordinary release of miracles that trip. But I remember it's one of those where you're just like, everyone's getting healed. Like literally everyone. We're praying for this lady at a, at a public school. She had a big goiter and it went down a little bit. And I looked at the young man next to me and I said, is that going down? That, by the way, that's another mark of growing in maturity is the ability to be self-aware. Some of the most deceived people in the body of Christ do not want to be self-aware. Notice I said do not want to be because they have opportunity, but they don't like it when their wife tells them and then their pastor tells them and then they leave that church. And I said, yeah, he said, yeah, it's going down. And I said, God, what's going on here? He said, she needs to forgive someone. Forget who it was. I said, do you need to forgive someone? Yes! Ooh, I think I was right on that good word of knowledge, you know. <laughs> Then you have those people like, I'm fine. <laughs> like, and she wouldn't, I asked her three times. And I said, well, I'll just, I'll pray that you work this out with the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit cannot overpower someone's gift of choice. So you actually are given something more powerful and you're a builder. Finish that verse there. So let every builder do his work carefully according to, catch that part, is really important right there, according to God's standards. That's a really big one because this is constantly, when you're, when you're working with people and trying to see them develop and disciple, often they consider someone else the standard for what God is going to do in their life. The word of God is your standard. 
And even as leaders, I teach this really passionate about this leaders. I said, you got to be very careful how you live because people look at you and they go, I can do that. They, you are supposed to reflect the Jesus standard. You're not perfect, but you're supposed to be going in that standard. And then other believers will look at you and go, oh, I can do that because they do that. So God's the standard, and we want to have our foundation built correctly so we, can, so we can have our hearts positioned properly for this defining season, the body of Christ. A foundation is what defines a structure. Now, you are a disciple. I'm a disciple. I'm a son. And by the way, in Scripture, you will never find any place in Scripture where uh, an office precedes a person. You'll never find the prophet Nathan. You will find Nathan the prophet. What does that tell us? You must be a disciple before you actually can properly step into an office. The problem is we have many people stepping into authentic callings but are never properly discipled. So they define themselves by their office, not as a disciple or a son. A disciple is a learner, a scholar. And then what does he say? When a disciple is properly trained, he's like the one who's teaching him. That's another foundational thing. God's goal in discipleship is not to get you to heaven. Say that again. Say it over here. Some of this is going down real good with some of you. But it's right. God's goal is not to get you to heaven. God's goal is to make you like Jesus. Heaven becomes a consequence of becoming like him. It's amazing to me, though, there are many people who want to go to heaven, but they don't want to be a disciple. When you get to heaven, there's no one disobeying Jesus. <laughs> Why would you want to go to heaven? You have to obey him 24-7 if you don't want to obey him down here. <laughs> like, I don't like this. There's no voting in heaven. There's no moving churches. You're like, it's loud up here, Jesus. Well, go to hell then, you know? Like, where are you going? <laughs> it's not a curse, it's a saying. Like, where do you think you're going if you don't like it there? I don't like being told what to do. Don't go to heaven then. He's telling everyone what to do. <laughs> <laughs> The root or part of being discipled is discipline. Discipline to instruct, to educate, to inform the mind. And the reason I'm saying this is because this is also really important. To fully inherit what God has for you, you will have to learn how to live a disciplined life. An undisciplined life can never inherit what God has ordained for you before the foundation fully inherit. You might, you might visit parts, but you'll have to learn how to develop. That's why God is three parts. He's created your three parts to fully come into alignment with him. Oh, excuse me. God is three parts who operates at one. He wants all three parts of you to come into alignment with him. Any of those parts are out of alignment. You'll have trouble fully inheriting what God has called us to. That's why health is a big thing for believers. Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, whoever loves discipline, catch this, loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. That's not Abner talking. That's in the Bible. I don't know what translation that is. So we want to build our lives properly. And one of the things that you'll see is in Genesis 1, and by the way, I just want to emphasize this for point. We'll, we'll look at this and we'll, we'll land the plane here for just this morning. One of, one of the things I just want to proclaim is that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and that the, that the man of God, what may be fully equipped. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. God tells us in Malachi 3, I don't know why I'm saying this, but this is right. Malachi 3, verse 6, it says, I'm God and I do not change. And to understand how God wants to relate to you and understand that the God you serve, you must start in the old. God does not reintroduce something in the new. He reestablishes what he introduced to humanity in Genesis 1, which is the kingdom of God. 
and it goes through the cross of Jesus. So to understand God fully, you have to understand it through both. You'll, you'll see something very interesting is when God gives, when God writes two-thirds of the New Testament, he does it through a man who is absolutely learned in the old. And so there, there is a foundation that he establishes that it still exists today in the old. That's why I spend a lot of time in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because he's establishing something. Those principles that you see in Genesis 1 are still in operation today. And I, and I, I, don't, I don't subscribe also to a schizophrenic God. I believe God was kind in the, in the old, and he just got kinder in the new. So Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read something. I didn't have you turn there, but I'm going to read this just to emphasize that point. I don't know why the Lord wanted to emphasize that. He responded, this is Jesus speaking. And by the way, uh, the most quoted scripture is in the book of, in the gospel of Matthew, and it's the book of Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes. I forget how many hundreds of times he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Matthew 13, he responded, this is Jesus speaking, every scholar of the scriptures some translations say scribes, who is instructed in the ways of, of, of heaven's kingdom realm is like a wealthy homeowner with his house who is filled with treasures, both new and old. And he knows how and when to bring, bring out to show others, new and old. When he talks about new wineskin, he doesn't say that the old wine is obsolete. He just says that the new wines can, can contain the old and the new. So Genesis chapter one, we're talking about fundamentals to be prepared for defining moments here. Everybody still with me here? Okay. Genesis chapter one, we know that God creates the universe. And of course, he speaks them into existence. And it will pick up his, the creation story in, in one verse 26 here. Then God said, let us make human beings so that they are like us. Let them, notice he says, let them. He doesn't say let us, let them. So there's this, uh, go back to this dynamic tension here. God created you with the power of choice. He also gave you dominion over your life, but your life was supposed to have authority in the earth. So what you serve is what your world is defined by. Say that again. What you serve is what your life is defined by. It's what your family is defined by. You'll see here in a moment, when Adam sins, when Eve sins, it affects the earth because they were giving governing power in the earth. You also see something else very characteristic of humanity. Everyone in this room believes something. You're not arbitrary in belief. So Genesis chapter one, continue there. Let them... So he gives governing a power to man. Rule over the fish of the sea. Let them, let them rule over the living livestock and all, all the wild animals. And let them rule over all the creatures that move along the ground. Love, many years ago, Charles Kapp said that that's the reason you, you have uh, dominion over every creepy thing. So God created human beings in his own likeness. Now that's a very important part of dominion. Because likeness is the character and the nature of God, which all human beings have, even if they're not born again. Everyone has an aspect of the personality of God. And so God rests dominion, which is stewardship of the earth, on his character. Often, believers will shy away from the word dominion because they're like, you know, because often I think it's a little twisted. Dominion is not about getting rid of all the homosexuals. Dominion is about stewarding the earth from what is God's character, from a place of servanthood so that the earth looks like heaven and it becomes a healthy place where all people can engage. Now it might include getting rid of some agendas and things like that. But it's not about getting, getting you know, our people in charge and that. It's not like that. It's from this place of servanthood 
unto humanity. The reason Joseph was elevated to a high place is so he could serve humanity from God's perspective. And you'll notice too the pattern. Joseph has to steward his own life before he can steward a nation. Let them rule. So God created human beings in his own likeness. He created them to be like himself. Then God blessed them and said to them, have children so that there will be many of you. Fill the earth, bring it under the control, rule over the fish in the seas and birds of the air, rule over every living, cre- uh, every living creature that moves along the ground. And I want to really stick in there and we'll land the plane here with verse 28 that is really important to the fundamentals of discipleship. You'll see that man is given governing power. He's given authority in the earth. And the first voice, the first voice that Adam hears and first thing that God says to him is he releases to him a blessing. Part of blessing is favor, prosperity, but it also is God saying, I'm releasing to you my potential, everything that I am. So Kenneth Copeland didn't come up with prosperity. Brother Hagen didn't come up with prosperity. God is the originator of prosperity. And he says, I'm releasing to you my potential to act like, he wasn't a little God, but to act like me in the earth. And so man was created to receive knowledge from two different sources, the realm of the senses, touch, feeling, taste, touch, smell, five senses, but also what we call revealed knowledge. Revealed knowledge is so important for your life as a believer that God tells us we perish without it. Proverbs 29, 18, without revelation, without revelation, without revelation, the people of God perish. Hosea 4, 6 doesn't say we're destroyed because of the devil. That's another victim thing that believers come up with. They want to blame the devil for everything. I'm not saying the devil's not doing stuff, but most of the problem, he doesn't say fight the devil. He says fight the good fight of faith. So the fight isn't what you're believing. My people are destroyed, right, for a lack of revelation knowledge. And then New Testament equivalent, John 16, you'll see always something. You'll see it set up in the old, and you'll see a New Testament parallel. John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will lead you and guide you, not into some truth, but all truth. And what is the characteristic? He will tell you things to come. Why does he tell us things to come? Because a believer's responsibility is to shape the world according to God's perspective, not what they see with their natural eyes. So here's some characteristics of Revelation. I finally got to the where I thought we, want, we were supposed to go here. Everybody still with me? Yes. It's only 1144. But th- let me just emphasize this too. The impossible can never take place in your life if there is not revelation and faith that applies revelation. Say that again. The impossible can never take place in your life without revelation and an application of that revelation. How many are disciples this morning? I don't know about me. Maybe it's the longer I walk with the Lord, I have very little tolerance for things God did not call me to do. And I'm really, 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 really focused I'm being a learned disciple in doing what God tells me to do. You know, one of the great tragedies of life is to end your life being successful at something God never called you to do and have the world applaud you. But when you stand before God, you have very little to give the one who gave you life. I'm amazed too that I I, I was... I was a college wrestler, wrestled from the time I was 7 to 23. I know you can tell. <laughs> You're like, how does he develop like that? You know? This is all natural, too. I've never used any performance-enhancing drugs ever. 
Yeah, I know. You're impressed now, aren't you? Yeah. But I, I, I'm amazed. I still follow uh, amateur wrestling, and uh, I also like professional wrestling. Don't judge me. So. But I'm amazed that most people who are very skilled at something and come to places of great prominence put their whole life into what God's called them to do. And believers have trouble going to an extra meeting. Don't think of the things of God like a buffet. Well, I know we got that special weekend at the church. I'll go to that one session because I got a lot going on. That's right, you have a lot going on. I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy your life. I'm saying though, when your life is defined by not seeking first the kingdom of God, you will live limited. In fact, you will never understand the kingdom of God by being a casual seeker. It was never meant to be understood by a casual seeker. And the most, some of the most frustrated people are people who are around the things of God but never fully engage the things of God. They know enough maybe just to get into heaven but never to do the impossible on the earth. When you were put into the earth, your life was supposed to represent and release realities that never existed before. You were supposed to bring a generational shift to your families. You're supposed to redefine. I'm not talking about even being famous. I'm talking about the life that you were given was so valuable. It was, it was cost the blood of Jesus so that the world could see a representation of God that the world has never seen. So here's some characteristics of revelation here. We'll land the plane. Revelation is a gift from God that originates with God. Revelation is a gift from God that originates with God. If you ever think you're the source of anything, you've already, you're already relating to God in the wrong way. In him, through him, and to him are all things. Here's another part of revelation that you want to live with this firm conviction. God is your source of all things. God has many channels. Your job might be a channel. This person might be a channel. But God is always your source. You live with that conviction. Live with that conviction. When God's your source, even when you get fired, you don't have to worry. If you're treated unjustly, God's your source. So God's the originator. In him, to him, and through him are all things. Revelation was always meant to be understood in the context of fellowship with God. God... God reveals precept upon precept, truth upon truth. So the inside that you're building, the fundamentals that you're building of your spiritual house are precept upon precept, truth upon truth. It is, but, it, but you all also understand it's only that as you apply truth that you can grow in truth. So what's a key about revelation? It's the honor that you have for the word of God. Jesus taught us in Luke Take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. It's amazing to me. And sometimes even in communities like this where you're used to personal words, prophetic ministry, and this person, you can begin to treat the word of the Lord so casually. Oh, we heard that. We heard that. You know you're probably in a, in, you're positioning yourself a little off when you begin to say things like that. You begin, to, you begin to treat what God has said casually. I'll tell you a story. It's th that word, the reception from that word allows a seed for impossible things to be done in your life. I'll tell you this story very quickly from Switzerland. I was in Switzerland in uh, uh, first time five years ago. We were on an exploratory trip, and they're having a meeting one night. And uh, it's, our, it's our, our last night. We we're there, I think, three nights. And the worship team was warming up. And I, I like sounds. Prophecy is not just words. It's sounds and things and different things. And so I was messing around with the djembe, with the worship team. My friend is also there on the trip. He's going to play with the team that night. And I heard the Lord say to me, he said, I want you to, well, I, the meeting was about to start. So I said, well, I'm going to, you know, let the professionals handle it. I've never played with a worship team, a djembe. 
The Bible says skilled musicians. I'm not a skilled musician. So the Lord said, I want you to play the drum. I said, God, I don't play the drums. And he said, I want you to play the drum. He said, I want you to, I want you to play the drum. Then he always gets me with this one. He said, I thought you told me you would do anything I told you ever to do. He always gets me with that one. Yeah. All right. So I start playing. The meeting starts. It's horrible. It's added, but you can tell they're, they're like you're getting the feel. And I'm a feeler. You're hearing like, what is he doing? But I was singing too. And I said, God, this, you know, I'm not actually saying it, but I'm going, God, this is not working. And he said, I didn't tell you to sing, just play. <laughs> Got it, boss. So you can miss a little turn there, revelation. So I play. God explodes into the room for the next 45 minutes. The band follows me. And... Again, it's good to be self-aware. I asked my friend who's years in worship, was a worship professor. I said, how did I do? He goes, that's amazing. I've never seen you do that. Then I talked to the gal who was leading the team. She said, that was amazing. I said, yeah, I've never done it before. She goes, oh, we just figured you knew what you were doing. That's why we followed you. But when you step out and do something, learn from the moment. It's not just a moment. It's God trying to teach you how to live a lifestyle. So I actually went back to my hotel room late that night. I said, God, I got, what, 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 what are you teaching me here? He said, anything I tell you to do, you can do by faith. The word is what qualifies you. The word is what qualifies you. So revelation was always meant to be understood through the context of fellowship with God. What's the first thing he tells them? You're blessed and you're called to steward the earth. What's the next thing you find him telling? Don't eat from that tree. What's the other thing that he does? He names animals. He's never named animals before. What gives him the authority to do that? The original revelation. And here's another thing. When God reveals something to you, he holds you responsible for it. Many times God has revealed things to people and they have not acted on it and they're wondering why they're not seeing the breakthrough and it's because God is holding them responsible as a co-laborer for their breakthrough. There's a lot of people who want financial breakthrough. A lot of people. How many could use more money? But they despise God's way of doing it. And they despise people who teach on it. And so what you dishonor and judge, you will have very difficulty receiving from. Revelation was meant to be, uh, meant by God to be in the context of understanding his nature towards us. What is it? First thing, Adam is blessed and he's loved by God. You won't trust the God that you think wants to manipulate you into doing something. Revelation releases to us potential, not a guarantee. Listen to that one. That's a really important point. Revelation releases to you potential, not a guarantee. So what, call, what qualifies me to stand as a minister of the gospel, as a prophet of the Lord? What's God himself? God told me. He didn't tell me he was a prophet, but at 18, he knew, I knew I was called. I didn't, I didn't, I'd never desired to be a man. I thought pre, I had to get rid of some of my own judgment. I thought preachers were weird, especially ones who traveled. All the ones that came to my church, they, they, the traveling ones, they lived in RVs. I said, who would want to live in an RV? No, I'm serious. That's what I thought. Thank God for hotels. People like, we love being with nature. I said, I don't. I like to visit and come back to a hotel room. They're like, it's awesome. There's not going to be any internet. I said, then I'm not going. <laughs> we just think differently, you know. And they, the, the evangelists that used to come to my church, they used to dress up their kids, even if they weren't twins, the same, and make them sing. That's borderline Pentecostal child abuse. <laughs> Some of you know what that is. And they came Monday through Wednesday, you know. First, first it was a whole week. And then we started backsliding. So we went to, you know, four days, five services, you know. I mean, you know what that is. You know what that is. But I didn't, I didn't want to do what qualifies me. 
God called me. But that was at 18. That was a revelation to me. And I certainly haven't, haven't been perfect, but here's the thing. Just because he gave me a revelation that was called did not guarantee that that call would come to pass. It's the choices you make within the context of knowing what God has called you that defines if you bring manifestation to impossible things. You still have that choice every day. There are some of the greatest apostles who will die drunks today. I believe some of them were my own uncles. Apostolic call. They, at a family get-together, they could preach better than I ever preached, and they hated the Lord. So having a revelation, whatever it is, not just calling, but having Joseph's revelation, that dream did not guarantee he would fulfill that dream. It's the choices he makes for the next 18 years that defines if he's going to be a leader in a nation. Keep going. Almost done. When you practice truth, the more you have an opportunity to grow in truth. When you practice, revelation, let me back up and just say this. Revelation will often, will always demand an action. And when you begin to move in that place, you will grow in understanding in that area. Doesn't mean the word changes, but your understanding of the word changes. Let's just give you one example from my life. Remember one of the first verses I ever read after that life-changing moment with the Lord, had my red Bible, my red Bible that my dad gave me, King James Version. So I still like King James. I don't read it all the time today, but that's the Bible I had at 18. I remember, if you believe, you'll do the works that Jesus is doing, you'll do greater works. So what happens? That comes into my heart. God, I'm going to do everything. I told the Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me from this point on. But I asked him for two things. I want to be your friend, and I want to see everything in the book. So I'm in the cafeteria. Very healthy girl goes, oh, I got some, something wrong with my neck. I remember. That verse comes up to me. What are you going to do? The angels didn't come. The shikibaba didn't come. The verse came up. The word, the word, the word. So I applied it, prayed for her. And she goes, Jesus, I still remember. She goes, ooh, I feel fire. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything for many years while I prayed for people. Now I feel all sorts of stuff. And she's, oh, I feel better. So I kept doing it. What I learned, I learned words of knowledge. I learned sometimes people have sickness because of other things. What happens? It's the application of truth that opens up more truth to you. I remember I was sitting with my, um, my friend had just planted a church. I think I was uh, 22 years old. And I was there, I think it was my last year of college, and uh, uh, they, were, they were receiving offering for the, the, the church, the beginning of the church, I think their first property. And God said, give $100. $100. That's a lot of money when you have 600 in the bank and you're a college student, and, you know, you're thinking of all your expenses. He said, give $100. I remember. And I'm thinking, the devil is a liar. No, I'm serious. What was he trying? He was trying to introduce me to seed time and harvest back then. The hundred dollars was just a small thing. Now a hundred dollars. I, I don't mean to brag, but a hundred dollars, you know, I spent a hundred dollars sometimes walking to an airport. It's the growing of truth. Let me read this here, Psalm 119. When your words are made clear, they bring light and they bring understanding to childish people. Let me read it out of the Passions. I think that's a little better, the way he puts it. Break open your word within me until revelation light shines out. Those with open hearts are given insight into your plans. Our response to revelation defines our level of understanding. 
our response to revelation defines our level of understanding. So let me just use that as an example. $100, okay, then, you know, you start, you start years later, you're given $100. And then, he, and then I remember the first time, $1,000. $1,000? Are you crazy? And I learned the truth. I learned the truth that I'm still holding on to today. Learn the truth. If you're willing to give it to God, he's willing to repay you. And I don't want to say what's up to now, but what I'm saying is he start out that place. And so I don't mean to put it this way. It could be any area. I'm glad I didn't stop at a $100 understanding. I'm glad that he grew me in that. For others, it may be other places of your life. But here's the other thing about practicing revelation. Once you begin to practice revelation, you develop habits. And then when you develop habits, you have involuntary responses to the situation that you're in. I wasn't used, I, I, I was always very good at tithing. My parents taught me that as a little kid and I wasn't quite sure about the whole offering thing. But here's the thing, now when I practice it, I, I don't think about these things. Here's another thing. When you begin to constantly practice forgiveness of people, you constantly forgive. I didn't realize how many people I didn't like when I got born again. No, really. How many people I had made judgments over and all this stuff. And anytime, and I'll, I'll, she's with me. I was the other day, I was saying, I don't know, what's wrong with this? And then I go, Lord, I release this to you. I forgive that person. It's okay to process it out loud, but it's not okay to let that fester for more than a few minutes. So what happens? The revelation that God has forgiven me now allows me to release others quickly. Revelation is progressive and unending. Revelation is internal reality, not governed by the physical senses. And here's a final one. I'll, maybe we'll develop more of those tonight. Find out the lies that hinder you from walking in the fullness of the revelation that God's given you. Find out the lies that hinder you from walking out the revelation that God has given you. Find out the lies. I'm not talking about, how do I say this? I don't wake up every day trying to find out what's wrong with me. But if you stay in fellowship with God, he'll show you what's wrong with you. And so when you discover those truths, those lies, you're able to more fully walk out revelation. Then what's the bottom line? You want to be fruitful. How many want to be fruitful? I want to be fruitful. I want to produce a life that looks like him. Did you receive something this morning? I went a little long, but we'll be back tomorrow, tonight, not tomorrow. At 6 p.m., if you receive this word, there's an unlocking for you, just like he said. So if you receive this word, one, two, three, just stand here your feet. I want to pray for you. Leanne, why don't you come up and just grab the mic? We're just going to release something here. Not something. We're going to release something very specific. So if you receive this word, I just want you to lift your hands to heaven. And if you're, in, if you're just in agreement with the word given this morning, just say, Father, let it be according to your word. In the name of Jesus, I bless you to receive revelation knowledge. In Jesus' name, I just break you free from lies, confusion, doubt, unbelief, worries, fears, generational things that have tried to keep you back from the breakthrough that God has for you. I bless you now with ears to hear and eyes to see. I bless you to uncover those things that the enemy has tried to keep covered in your life. I declare that the revelation light of God breaks forth in your heart and in your mind today. I declare in the name of Jesus that you hear the voice of God. I declare that you adjust to the voice of God. And I declare that today is a marking day and that God is releasing keys to you of unlocking, of breakthrough, and of purpose in Jesus' name. 
I actually see Jesus in this room with keys. I just see um, as there's an openness fully to the Lord. I just see there's an uprooting of lies. There's been a planting of seeds of truth, but there's an uprooting of seeds of lies that the enemy has sown. And it's coming through this place of release, releasing injustice to the Lord. And then there's this infilling of truth that's going to fill those places for the purpose of healing and restoration. The Lord desires to set us free, but it is a partnership. And he says there is an ultimate place of healing for the ultimate release. So just, just Lord, we just want to release, God, any place, God, uh, where we've been holding on to offense. Lord, we just ask for the refreshing rain of heaven to fall, God. We just ask that you would take us into a new place of glory and freedom as we surrender offense to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, for your fire to be released into the depths of our hearts and that there would be a purging where bitterness has set in unknowingly and resentment. And Lord, we just thank you for the restoration that you're doing in this room and that through the release and through the receiving of healing that you're taking us to a new place. I thank you for the shift in mindsets today to believe you for what you have said and for who you are. And Lord, I just pray that we would be a people that would know the goodness of God and that I thank you that you have promised that we would see the goodness of God in the land of the living for those who put their trust in your name. So I pray there would be a shift today, God, and that you would bring our thoughts and our hearts into alignment with truth. I bless you with truth, the truth yep. of the Lord. The revelation to know who you are as a son and a daughter of God. And Holy Spirit, I ask for the anointing of the oil of sonship to flow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening.